you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even for your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We are starting a new sermon series on the book of Philemon, and since it's so short, we are also closing out our sermon series on the book of Philemon. Now, some of you are thinking, I'm, I'm just so sick of the book of Philemon. I'm always hearing about it. It's always being preached on. It's so popular, and there's so many books that uh, are trying to uh, plumb the depths of its riches. I only joke because uh, everybody I talked to this week about it just on a whim, so they've never actually even heard the book of Philemon preached on. And as you read, or had it read to you and you followed along, perhaps, um, perhaps you understood why. You had the thought to yourself, why is this book even in the Bible? There's no theology that Paul talks about. There's no doctrine that he establishes. There's no theological treatise that is uh, being developed here. So why is this book even in the Bible? Well, the truth is, to read this letter puts us in a very, very difficult circumstance. 
in a very difficult culture. Here you have Paul in prison, writing to his friend Philemon, who's a wealthy man who lives in Colossae. And Paul is writing a letter to him, to his friend, because Philemon was converted under the ministry of Paul whenever Paul traveled through Colossae. And sometime after that, the way providence had worked out is that this letter tells us that at some point, one of Philemon's slaves named Onesimus was a runaway. He fled the house of his master, and he ran, and he too encountered Paul, and then he was converted. And then now Onesimus is being sent back, back to his master. This is no simple situation that this letter is talking about. The gospel has invaded both the life of the slave and the slave owner. So now what? You can imagine the difficulty, the deep-rooted ideology that existed in this culture, in this situation. So why is this book even in our Bible? I would say if the gospel can bring transformation to this situation and to this broken culture, how much more so might it bring transformation to the culture of your marriage, to the culture of your friendships, your relationships, your household, your parenting? If the gospel can transform this situation, then how might that power be at work in transforming the culture at Rockwell Press? And that's why I think this story is here, because if the gospel has nothing to say about how these chains can be broken, then where's the hope at all? And I think this story is here because it awakens within us some of our deepest questions, our deepest doubts, our deepest fears, and our deepest hopes, is that does the gospel actually change anything at all? Is anything different when the gospel shows up? And my prayer this morning and this week for us has been Paul's hope and prayer for Philemon in verse 7. His hope for the slave owner is that we too would be a powerful, transformed community that refresh the hearts of one another. Now you can imagine the tension that this situation puts these, two men, these three men in, really. And we need to recognize where the tension comes from in this story because the gospel is not just collided with this culture, but really these three men as individuals. And so we kind of have to step back and say, what happens when the gospel collides with your life? What happens when it just slams into your life? What happens after that? Well, the Apostle Paul says there's this tension and that we immediately find ourselves in this huge get match of tug-of-war. Because within you, there's this old nature that's still enslaved to sin. There's the flesh that continues to desire an old way of life that's corrupted by sin and the deceitfulness of the flesh and its desires. But then he says, there's also this part of you that is something completely new. There's this part of you that is being resurrected, has been resurrected, and is being resurrected, and new life is being brought into you, and the very life-giving power of God is at work in you to transform you into the powerful image of Christ your Lord. And we know that tension. Felt it every day this week, most likely. It doesn't take much theologizing to feel that. That back and forth of, yes, I, I want intimacy with Jesus and I want to know him deeply, and yet I find myself in front of the TV every night. Or to say, I, uh, I want freedom from my addictions after all these years. I want freedom from the sin that continues to plague me 
over and over and over again, and yet I find myself going back to those same sins over and over and over. We know that struggle between an old way of life and a new one. As we consider Philemon this morning, the challenge before us is that we would consider how we can be a community of people that refresh the heart of one another. But to understand how we can do that, I want to look at this story through the lens of both the old self and the new self. Because each man in this letter has the opportunity to either live out of the old self or the new self. Each one, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus, each had an opportunity to either go back to an old way of life and live as the old self, or they could become something altogether new entirely. They could go back to normal, or they could become something new. They had an opportunity to live as the old self or the new self. And as we jump into Paul's greeting in verses 4 through 7, what do we see? In verse 4, he says, I thank my God always. This is to Philemon. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The one thing I want to point out is there in verse 6 where it says the sharing of your faith. Paul's hope for Philemon is that the sharing of his faith would become effective. He's not saying, uh, he's not talking about evangelism. He would, Paul would have used a different word for that. This is not sharing of your faith that he's talking about, not the sharing of your faith with those outside the community of faith. What he's talking about is sharing your faith with those within the community, the koinonia, the fellowship of believers. And so Paul's wish, as he starts off his letter, he says, to paraphrase it because it's a little bit wooden of a translation, is he's saying, Philemon, my prayer for you, my hope for you is that you, that others, through your faith, others would experience the goodness of Jesus Christ because you are a refresher of the hearts of the saints. You are a powerful new creation. Why is Paul speaking this way when he starts off his letter? Is it flattery, buttering him up a little bit? Mommy, Daddy, I love you so much. You're awesome. Can I go to my friend's house later today? Setting him up for the big ask? No, not at all. Who is actually, the better question is, is that who is it that Paul is really speaking to? In these verses, Paul is speaking to the new man in Philemon. He is giving the old self in Philemon no quarter. You're not, the, you're not the slave owner. You're not the powerful businessman. You are a new creation in Christ. You are a refresher of the hearts of the saints. A powerful new creation being transformed into the image of Christ that others can see through your faith the goodness of everything that we have in Jesus Christ through you. That's who you are, Philemon. That is who you truly are, and that is who Christ is continuing to make you into. You're a new man now. Do you know who you really are? Do you know the power that's at work in you? Do you know the power of this new person that Christ wants to transform you into after his image and likeness? You know, one of the places I see this new man and this new woman come out 
so vividly and powerfully has been in India. I was thinking this week about this new self in us that I've seen. I remembered Sarah Parat in a room of 20 of the women that worked in the Kaligat brothel system. And she sat down and she shared her story with them. She shared her entire story with all of these women. And they, she had their entire attention the whole time. Listening to her story of failure and of faith. And I remember talking with another team member this week and they said, you know what? That was unbelievably captivating to watch that happen. And I remember thinking that as we're sitting there watching that happen, to think, who is this woman? It's the new woman, that's who. It's the new woman in Christ that Christ is transforming into a powerful share of her story. A new woman that can share her failures, can share her faith, her struggles, her testimony, and witness to people that are hurting and encourage them, and to be completely captivating while she does it. It's the new woman. And I remember Jeremy Goss, whenever we got there, we had some things that didn't go our way, and Jeremy rose to the occasion, not in, an, not in a bombastic kind of way, but he rose to the occasion in every single moment. He was so kind and generous and taking control of so many different things, and one of the ways is every preschool we went into, every children's lesson, he would read the lesson with such vivaciousness and such vitality and such passion. It was incredible. I was sitting there thinking, like, who is that? Like, who is that guy? It's the new man. It's the new man in Christ that had no sense of self-consciousness whatsoever, but was completely who he was and gave himself exactly as it is. And he brought so much joy to those children. And I thought of Aaron Abbott sitting there in front of the Deep Forest churches with 75 plus people, a room packed, and as she introduces herself and is encouraging these people that are suffering, she's crying and weeping openly as she does it, trying to encourage them and letting them know that her heart breaks for them. You think to yourself, who is that? That is the new woman that Christ is transforming into one that can powerfully empathize with those who are hurting and those who are weak. And a woman came up to her afterwards and says, your tears are proof to us that you love us. Who are these people? Who are these versions of them? It's the new man and the new woman. Who are you? Do you know the power at work in you to transform you? into the image and likeness of Jesus. Do you believe that there's perhaps a powerful evangelizer inside of you that Christ wants to transform you into or one who can deeply empathize with those who are broken and hurting or one who can be a tremendous encourager of those who are downcast? Do you know who it is that Christ wants to turn you into? Do you believe that? I know what some of you are thinking, which is exactly why Paul is telling Philemon at the beginning of the letter who he really is. It's because sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget who we were really called to be and the power at work within us. And the voice of the old self is all we can hear, that you're just who you are, you're nothing special. And that's just how it is. But to ask the question to us this morning is how can we be a powerful community if we believe that when the gospel shows up, it doesn't change anything at all? How can we become more than that and lay hold of that power at work within us? Well, for us to be a community that refreshes the hearts of one another, then we must be a community that calls out the new self in one another, that sees that new man and new woman and who we really are in Jesus Christ. And we call it forward and we encourage it. 
This week at After Hours, Brian Hartger asked a question after Ryan Swindle shared his story. And he said, brother, how can we come alongside you and encourage you in this season of your life? That's a new man kind of question. And a community that asks those questions is a community that refreshes the hearts of one another. Do you know who you really are? And Paul himself in this letter has an opportunity to uh, act out of the old self or the new self. Really more so than any other letter in the New Testament. Because Paul is deeply invested in this situation. The situation between Onesimus and Philemon is personal for him. He says in verse 12, he says that I really wanted to keep Onesimus with me. He even said, he is my son in the faith and I have become his father. He is deeply precious to me and I would love to have him with me. But he doesn't do that. How does Paul respond? We see it in verses 8 through 10. Where he says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. Skipping down to 10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. And in verse 14 he says, But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. You notice what he says. He says, you know, I could command you and I could start barking some orders and I could rise up as Paul the Apostle and say, Philemon, this is what you're supposed to do. But he says, I won't. I won't. The abuse of power is very tempting whenever there's something that we want that's on the line. We manipulate. We try to overpower. We try to control. But law alone will not produce the love that Paul is after here. And he knows that we often try to get what we want by force, and that's really just the old self. Paul could have said, hey, Philemon, you're going to do this, but would that really have produced something in Philemon that offered transformation? Of course not. Just barking laws and orders. But instead, Paul decides to humble himself, and he lays aside his rights, and he appeals to Philemon for the sake of love. He appeals to a deeper part of Philemon, where Christ is at work transforming him into something new. It's in this appeal that Paul, again, is speaking to the new man and saying, I trust that Christ is at work in you. And I appeal to you. I appeal to your love and for love's sake. And what does this look like for us? Do our relationships look this way where we appeal to one another for love's sake? Offering Christ the opportunity to work. Well, when is it that, you know, that old self in us really wants to take over, take the wheel? Well, it's whenever we have something on the line that we want. Whenever we're invested in something and we have an agenda and we want something to turn out the way that we want it to, well, that's most often when we see him. We have to recognize that the old self tries to take control in our relationships when we feel and act as though Christ is not at work in the life of another. Christ isn't going to change him, so I better try. I'll take matters into my own hands. And instead of seeking to allow the opportunity for the other person to submit to Christ, we would rather they submit to us. And so... 
we begin to deal in law and power and we try to take control. And so we get inconvenienced and we try to overpower with anger to try to get to someone to submit to us. Or we try to use uh, manipulation and guilt and we give the cold shoulder, the silent treatment, to try to get someone to submit to us. We can militarize shame by being critical and belittling when someone does something we don't like and we want to change them and submit to us. And what are we doing in these moments if we treat one another this way? We are completely factoring Christ out of the situation as though he's not at work. And so we take matters into our own hands so that we can accomplish our own agenda. And it's in these moments that we're not seeking the opportunity for Christ to bring about the transformation in the life of this person. We are trying to bring it about ourselves. Instead of getting them to submit to Christ, we would rather them submit to us. And honestly, does that sound like a community or a marriage or a friendship or relationship that refreshes? Of course not. You know, when was the last time you heard somebody say, you know what, sweetie? You really get me going whenever that cold, critical spirit comes out. <laughs> or I've never loved you more than when you get angry and start barking at me. Mm. Of course not. It's because the old man in us just brings out the old man in another. Getting someone to try to submit to you does absolutely nothing. But giving someone that opportunity to submit to Christ brings transformation. So for us to be a community that refresh the hearts of one another, we have to recognize that the new self does not have to control one another. But instead, we trust that Christ is at work in the life of another. And that is us living as the new man ourselves. When we entrust another to Christ, we are saying that we too are entrusting ourselves to Christ by saying that I submit to your authority rather than trying to establish my own authority. And may you bring about your purposes and your wills. And in this situation, this is an opportunity for a completely new kind of relationship to blossom and to flourish. So the question to us is, do you believe that Christ is at work in your spouse and your children? Maybe you don't have to get so angry. You don't have to withhold affection. Maybe that new self in you can just go to your spouse and say, you know what? I've been hurt. Or I feel like we've talked about this over and over again. And you know what? I still feel completely unheard and disregarded. I want something more for us. Perhaps in that moment, you would find as you give them that opportunity that they would come back to you and say, you know what, I've thought about it and you're right. That is a community that refreshes the hearts of one another. And as we continue, Paul's laid it on pretty thick, this challenge calling out the new man in Philemon. So what's his story? What's his, what does it look like for the new man in Philemon to respond to this new man that Paul is calling out? Verses 15 and 16, we see a very challenging situation. Verse 15, it says, For this, per, for this perhaps is why he, Onesimus, was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. 
Philemon, in these verses, is given the opportunity to allow the new man to step back and take a bigger perspective as to what perhaps is going on in this story. That perhaps God has intervened and Christ has new purposes beyond the ones that he has for himself and to step back from the tunnel vision that our own agendas create and to see God at work in this story. And you have to remember who it is that's standing in front of Onesimus, or that's standing in front of Philemon delivering this letter. It's Onesimus, the runaway slave. And in verse 16, just to read it again, to hear it, no longer may you have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. So verse 16, you can really capture the situation that Paul is trying, this situation that Paul is putting these two in. You can capture it with a question. Is Philemon, what is it that you see standing in front of you now? A slave or a beloved brother? Do you understand how radical that question is? At this time, uh, a third of the Roman Empire, a third of the Roman Empire was estimated to have been slaves. If we actually take that into our terms in modern-day America, that's 110 million slaves in this country. There's two kinds of people in Philemon and Onesimus' world. There's slaves and there's slave owners. That's it. That's who you are. You either are a slave or you are a slave owner. And this question comes in, and Paul is forcing this question of the new man in Philemon to wrestle with some of the questions that have actually caused so much pain in our world and throughout history. Is how you answer this question. Who do you see standing in front of you? Do you see a slave or do you see a beloved brother? And he wants Philemon to really wrestle with who his master really is. Because if they have both been bought and purchased with the blood of Christ, they both have a new master now. And if this Onesimus has been bought and purchased with the blood of Jesus, then that very blood and his very life and his death has placed a whole new value on the life of Onesimus. And who is Philemon to say it's anything less? That is a powerful confrontation that the gospel presents to Philemon. Do you see a slave or do you see a beloved brother? And that challenge is for us as well. We may not consider one another slaves, but we certainly have the tendency to put, li- to put value on the lives of one another. And this challenge to us, or to Philemon, is the same challenge to us if we want to be a community that refresh the hearts of one another. The way that we do that is that we recognize that we have to allow Christ to place the value on the life of another instead of determining what it is for ourselves. When you look around you at this church and the people here, what, it is, what is it that you see standing in front of you? What do you see in front of you? What do you see next to you? Because the temptation for us is that we would live out of the old self and we begin to determine the value of the life of another. And so, yeah, we may not be enslaving someone, but the same roots of slavery and prejudice and bigotry are at work anytime we try to divide lines and we begin to say, you know what, that person has nothing to offer me socially. Why would I invest in them? Or we say, you know, I have nothing in common with that person. It's not really worth my time. Or, you know, that person's really hard to talk to 
You're the awkward person to talk to, and so why would I expose myself to that? It's easier to avoid them. And the truth is, we cannot be that kind of people that simply put lines between one another because the gospel breaks down everyone because the value of Christ's blood has been placed on all of us. And that type of behavior is more fitting for the halls of Congress and a middle school cafeteria than it is for the community of people that have been bought and purchased by Jesus Christ. We are called to be a powerful people, or a people that is a community that sees that Christ has placed tremendous value on one another. For us to be a community that, reflect, that refreshes the hearts of each other, my goodness, does that not challenge the ways that we relate to one another and the value we place on what you are worth to me? But to say, if you have been bought and purchased with the blood of Jesus, that means you are precious to Christ beyond anything that I could possibly imagine. And therefore, you should be precious to me if I'm going to call Christ my master. Can you imagine being in a place, the power and beauty of a, of a community, where everyone thinks you are really precious? Can you imagine the power of a community where everyone thinks you are really valuable and worth their time? Worth an extra question instead of just one? Worth a how are you doing? And worth making eye contact the whole time and not looking at someone you might want to talk to across the room, but to see this person in front of you. That it's not just me and you and then Jesus over there. It's that if we belong to Jesus and he is my master and he is yours, I can't see you because Christ is between us. And I cannot see you apart from seeing him also. That is the power of a community that refreshes the hearts of one another. And lastly, underneath the text is we have the old runaway slave Onesimus. That he too had the opportunity to live out of the old man or to live as the new man. And the thing is, is the fact that he's going back to his master doesn't happen. Okay, like this is crazy that he's doing this. Runaway slaves in, in the ancient Roman culture, it's well recorded they received incredibly severe punishment. Why? Because you don't want the rest of your slaves to run away, so you make an example. So a lot of them were killed, crucified, and tortured. And he's going back. That is crazy. That he would go back to his master. Or does he go back to a brother? You can imagine, as he is converted, this question that he has with Paul, when Paul understands the situation that has happened, and he, says, and he says, Onesimus, you have to go back and make this right. Because odds are, and from the text, we can essentially assume that when Onesimus left, he wasn't just a runaway, but he had a double whammy because he also probably left with his pockets full, you know, leaving with some of the fine china and try and finance this new life that he's getting the freedom that he's going to try and find in another city. So not only is he a runaway slave, but he's also a thief, and he stole from Philemon. And you can imagine that tug of war of that old way of life or this new way of life where he would say, Paul, can't I just go on as though it never happened? Why would I have to go back? Why would I want to do that? Why can't we just go on and just forget everything and we can go continue to do ministry together? Paul says, no, that can't happen. And the new man in Onesimus won. 
because he went back to make it right, which means that Onesimus himself, when he looked at Philemon, could no longer see a master, but he too had to see a beloved brother that he wronged. Completely transformed the way he saw Philemon. And how humbling would that have been for Philemon to see that? That for us to be a community to refresh the hearts of one another, we cannot pretend to have Christ as our master when we run from the wrongs that we have committed against one another. Because when we don't go back to try and seek to make it right, then we are also making a statement of value on that person. It's not worth to make it right with you. It's not worth to make restitution. It's not worth to be restored in relationship with you. But that's not what happens. Because the new self, for us to be that type of community, is that we go back to undo the wrongs that we have committed against one another. That's the new man and the new woman seeking to make right Seeking to treat as valuable and precious that which is valuable and precious to Christ. Because how much dignity does it offer someone that we've wronged to come back to them and say, you are worth making it right with. You are valuable and precious to Christ and I have not treated you in that way. I want to make it right with you. That is a community that will refresh the hearts of one another. And it would be really nice to know how this story turned out. How does this story turn out? Because we, we need these stories to give us hope, do we not? We, we, we live in the lives of the old self all the time, that the gospel doesn't change anything. Why try? Why do this? Why do that? I am just who I am, and nothing's going to change. And we forget the very power of the gospel that is at work within us to transform us into the image and likeness of Jesus. And we need these stories because they really do challenge us. Because these, these stories like this get us down to some of our deepest questions. Is does the gospel change anything at all? Does it actually do anything? Does it change me? Does it change this community? Does it actually make a people that are so completely countercultural and radical when you compare it to the rest of the world? Does the gospel actually change anything? It gets us down to those questions. Is there really hope? Because this situation could have gone in two completely different ways. They could have lived out of the old man, each one of them. And honestly, everything would have gone back to a completely hopeless, forgettable normal. And nothing would have changed. But the truth is we do know that things did not go back to normal. We know from church history what happened to this story. We do know how it turned out. That when Onesimus returned to Philemon, Philemon did not say, my slave. He said, you are my beloved brother, and I release you. You are free. Because Onesimus returned to Paul and he eventually became a powerful new man in Christ and became the bishop of Ephesus, the most powerful city in the region. And he, be, he was a runaway slave that became the runaway bishop that ran back to Christ in service to him all the way up to his death in 95 AD, where he died a martyr in service to his new master. Does the gospel change anything at all? 
The gospel changes everything. How can we be a community that refreshes the hearts of one another? Well, Rockwall Prez, do you know who you really are? And do you know the power at work within you and within us? And when you look around at one another, what is it that you see? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you met us in our running and that you gave us a new story and we ask that you would remind us that you are at work within us and that the gospel truly is power to transform the most dire and difficult of circumstances. We ask that you would awaken the new man and the new woman in us so that we might become the powerful people that are conformed into the image and likeness of you. That we can, we can be a community that truly refreshes the hearts of one another. And just like this story is that the refreshment that it offers does not just stay within the bounds of these three men, but it extends far beyond it. And we pray the same thing for this community, that we would live as a community that is the new man and the new woman and the refreshing power that we offer to one another to display your goodness would spill out of these walls into the community around us. We pray that you would make us into something that only the gospel can create. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen.